What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Turn on the Jets Digital Presents Draft Season. I am your moderator, D.A. Osorio, joined on this very chilly Sunday afternoon in D.C., uh, joined, as always, by the other the other members of the Four Horsemen of what we call draft season, Michael Megan, James Coons, and Joseph Bellick. Uh, before we jump into our stuff, we want to tell you guys that you should absolutely listen to the latest episode of Badlands. Meigs, I'm going to take your intro. Because if you were not sold on the New York Jets but being a really a realistic landing spot for Deshaun Watson, Maybe John McClain says some stuff on today's episode that really changes your mind. But let me go to my let me go to my co-host Meeks. I'll start with you. How you feeling, brother? I mean, I just feel like now we're just gonna argue over all these quarterbacks, and then it won't even matter <laughs> if Deshaun Watson's our quarterback. So feeling great, you know. And I love that the discourse will end before James becomes a full-on member of the Mormon Mahomes hive. James, how are you doing, man? Doing well, Dalton. Doing well. Yeah. Joe, how about you? How are you feeling? We we got some uh, some AVT love this week from a bunch of offensive line guys, and I know that AVT is near and dear to your heart. But other than that, how are you feeling? I'm doing great, Dalvin. Especially with this uh, recent Deshaun news, uh, I'm feeling good. Yeah, I don't I don't think I don't think it can get any worse for us, right? Which means you know, as Jet fans, I think we're conditioned for things to really go off the rails and him end up with the Dolphins. But I do not think that's what's going to happen. Um, Thank you guys as always for joining us. As you guys know, our format, seven rounds of draft talk. This time, this time we have a, a really kick-ass interview that we're about to launch into. But first, we will start with round one, grading the mock. And we 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 have gotten a lot of feedback and they bombard James with this because they think that James will not be snarky with them in return. Uh, but we did see this week that James is the literal definition of F around and find out because folks decided to try and test his 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 patience. But uh, we've gotten some feedback from you guys that you guys wanted to start looking at second and third round uh, picks for the Jets. So that's exactly what we're going to do in this one. Uh, this came from a mock that we reviewed this week that looked at the Jets taking a cornerback and a running back, a running back that James does not like, a running back that I very much like, and a running back that Meigs and Joe are going to tell you about how they felt. Meigs, I'll start with you. And let's start with my main man from Memphis, running back Kenny Gainwell. What did you think of that pick? And what did you think of the, the other pick in this mock? Uh, I like Kenny Gainwell. He's a nice running back. I think 66 is a little high for him, especially with Michael Carter on the board, who I like a little bit more. Um, I think there's like debate over if Kenny Gainwell like fits the scheme or not. And really, I think the real question is, are the Jets going to spend a top 100 pick on a running back? Because like I like I feel like every mock draft we get one in the first round, which I don't think is realistic. But in the third round, I think there's it's way more likely. And in regards to Kelvin Vincent, uh, he's a nice corner, but I can't justify taking him over Asante Samuel or James's guy Greg Newsom. So I really think the big issue with this mock is more the value than the players themselves. Because I wouldn't touch Vincent as a top forty player. But um, it's that's why I gave this mock a C. I like I I don't mind the positions they went. I just question the value of the players. And I will say, I think when, when I, you know, and I'm, I'm wrapping up my top 150 now and the gap between Asante Samuel Jr. and Greg Newsom, who I, who it's interesting because James, you know, and I'll go to you right now, but I'll tip my cap to you. James tweeted five months ago and understand this was not a Northwestern bias. I know I get accused of that being a Boston College alumni, right? I, I know I get accused of that because we don't have many of them in the NFL. But James tweeted this five months ago that there will come a time in this process when Greg Newsom is considered rightfully a top 40 player in this class. James, I'm going to assume you also did not like the value and also you don't like Kenny Gainwell. But also, what, what are your thoughts? on? Do you agree with Meigs on the value at who they took in these slots? 
So I think Gainwell is a very interesting player because he has a very uncommon combination of skill sets for running back. I think his deep pass catching ability is very interesting for a running back. He's very good at it. He also has a very nice sense of balance. Those were two things that struck me about his game. But at the same time, um, I was a bit underwhelmed by his ability to run between the tackles and break arm tackles. Um, I thought he was pretty easily brought down by defenders. I don't think he's particularly fast, which as I've expressed before, I believe that that is an important aspect of being a scheme fit in this offense. Um, and he's also pretty poor in pass protection from what I saw. So overall, I'm not a huge fan of him. I agree with Meigs that I certainly wouldn't touch him this early in the draft. Um, and overall, I would say he's somebody who I would look at in the later rounds, but not where his current draft position is. Yeah, I like that you mentioned how he needs to improve blitz protection because that was the one thing that I think. And also, you'll see younger running backs, if they can pick up the blitz, right, they're usually able to find their way on the field faster if they don't necessarily have, you know, like a one identifiable trait. And I think you mentioned, James, his ability as a receiver is, 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 is different, right, than we see from most running backs. Um, but you're taking him to play running back, not wide receiver. However, I do think he can be a productive receiver. Joe, what did you think of this mock? Um, you know, I wasn't, you know, that big on it. I do like these players. I just like them later in the draft, you know, as far as, uh, you know, Gainwell goes, DA, you know, you've been so supportive of me and I really wanted to love Gainwell as much as you, but I just, <laughs> I couldn't get there, yeah. but I do like him in the system for what I think he can be when, you know, looking for prospects that would work well with this kind of positionless offense that we've talked about. He fits the mold maybe more than most. He's a, a multifaceted athlete who can play both receiver and running back. And I think a creative coach, like I expect LaFleur to be, can deploy him in multiple ways. I think they could actually use him very similarly to Debo Samuel, whether it's as a receiver or on jet sweeps, sending him in ghost motion to create some deception or utilizing him on those swing routes like they do Debo would work really well. I mean, just get him the ball in space and watch him work. He'd be a bona fide weapon for someone who would know how to use him correctly, which of course includes him being a nice option of what may shape out to be a running back by committee in this outside zone scheme. And he has the potential to eventually be the lead back in a committee. I like his upside in that regard. So I'd welcome him with open arms, but still I see him as more of a fourth or fifth round pick. And I, I couldn't justify taking him here in the third round, round with guys like Michael Carter and, and Trey Sermon still on the board, like Meeks mentioned, you know, who I both have ranked higher. So I gave this pick a, a C++ because I still do like the fit and what the coaching staff can potentially do with his skill set. Uh, plus, I, I gave him a little extra love there, too, in the end, because you know, I know he's your guy, Dalvin. And, and I will say if they take him in the fourth or fifth round range, I would you know, grade it much higher, say, in that B-plus category. As far as Kelvin Joseph, um, who, were, who were mocking who actually wasn't Kelvin Vincent, <laughs> sorry, Meeks, uh, the kid from Kentucky. Yeah. Um, Kelvin, you know the vibe, Joseph. I'm into him. I was hoping he would stay under the radar and be one of these late-round gems. But he's rising up the draft boards, currently 42nd in Daniel Jeremiah's top 50. He's a versatile prospect, a very passionate player, someone you could utilize in both a man and zone scheme. And I think he's a nice fit for everything that will be asked of him in a solid defense. Plus, he isn't afraid to lay the wood in the run game. And I like his physicality and his, his willingness to tackle. He is a little raw with limited experience. He missed the entire 2019 season after transferring from LSU after being suspended for violating team rules, something I'm sure Joe Douglas will investigate. And he does have some flaws in his game, including some lapses in judgment when his zone is flooded and could be susceptible to good route runners. I saw Kyle Pitts pretty much turn him into a pretzel. So he does have some stuff to work on. Regardless, I like his potential, but as, yeah, as much as I enjoy the film, I can't take him over JC Horn, Eric Stokes, and Greg Newsom, and a whole bunch of other prospects still available in this mock. 
So I gave the pick a C as in hopefully see you later in the draft. As much as I appreciate his talent, I'm not thinking about Joseph until the third round at the very earliest. But I am for targeting, I am for targeting a quarterback in the spot. The Jets haven't selected a cornerback higher than the third round since 2014. Dexter McDougal, if you guys could believe that. Not the best way to build a secondary. So I'd be down with it at pick 34. I just don't think Kelvin is the guy I'd go with, especially with those other players available. So here's what I will tell you guys. Remember March 7th as the day that I got three new co-hosts. So mark that down. Uh, They have, all three of them have been removed and we are replacing them with believers of Kenny Gainwell. That is what's happening going forward. Second, (laughs) Joe, I I I do agree with you. I think that with the, with the different corners that, that were still on the board, I was very surprised that that this person went, went this direction. Um, and I think it's interesting because, yes, I think we can all anticipate that the Jets will add a corner because as of right now, they have one corner that may be something. That may be something. That's Bryce Hall, right? Um, so depending on what they do in free agency and depending on, and depending on what they do in free agency, you're going to have to add somebody that can, one, replace the veteran that you signed. And that can also contribute if you lose Brian Poole, right? So maybe they double dip at corner. We've talked about maybe they double dip at receiver. Maybe they double dip at edge. Maybe corner is the other position group that they double dip in. Um, Let's go right into our interview. We are joined by senior college football writer from the Draft Network, Benjamin Solak. And understand, I've I've gotten to the point where I call Ben the leader of the Justin Fields Brigade because Ben was the only one the only one who, when the Jets ceremoniously beat the Rams, was like, oh, why are Jet fans so upset? There's still a really good quarterback on the board at two. Ben, how are you doing, man? Um, well, thanks for having me on, fellas. Yeah, no, uh, Jets fans are going to be sad for a long time watching that Trevor Lawrence pick, and I don't really mind it too much. I'm pretty happy about it. There we go. There we go. And I will say that we, you have three believers in Justin Fields here. And, uh, you know, as Zach Wilson has continued his meteoric rise through the draft process, it's been, you know, folks are like, oh, we should go this route, we should go this route. And we have not wavered that Justin Fields should be the pick. Ben, let's kick this thing off right off the bat. I, I, Because, again, like I said, you did not budge off of this. You said, listen, Fields is Fields is in this is in the conversation. You even tweeted this week. There are not two quarterbacks in this class better than Justin Fields. Tell Jets fans why they should not be panicking at the thought that Justin Fields will be the pick at two. Yeah, what it really goes back to is rewinding the clock to 2016, 2017, when you have two of the best quarterback recruits in recent years coming out of Georgia, living 30 minutes apart from each other in Justin Fields and in Trevor Lawrence. So they were both recruits out of Georgia. Lawrence was the top recruit in that class. Fields was the second by a very thin margin. Uh, Fields elected to stay in state, go to Georgia. Lawrence got the Clemson offer and took that offer very, very early in his recruitment process. That 2017 college football season comes. Uh, Clemson has an incumbent quarterback named Kelly Bryant, pretty good. Uh, Georgia has an incumbent quarterback named Jake Fromm, pretty good, both at the college level. They get a few games into the season, and Clemson decides to, to sit Kelly Bryant and put in Trevor Lawrence after four games. Uh, they start Lawrence his freshman year. Lawrence goes on to win a national championship with one of Clemson's best rosters of recent memory. Georgia does not do that. Georgia says, let's just keep running with Jake Fromm. This is great. We love it. Uh, and then Georgia will proceed to lose a national championship to Tonga Bailoa in a game which Jake Fromm didn't play that well. Meanwhile, Justin Fields has transferred out and has gone to Ohio State. So the big difference between Fields and Lawrence was never a level of talent. These were very equivalent recruits coming out. 
One went to Clemson with an offensive coordinator in Tony Elliott, uh, who drew NFL interest this past year, RPO-style offense, spread heavy, easy stuff. The other went to Georgia, an offensive coordinator that would eventually uh, get replaced by Todd Monk at late, later in 2019, uh, did not get that starting job over from, who's obviously not really much of a lead quarterback now, and had to transfer to Ohio State in order to get his, his starting opportunity. Lawrence has three years of experience, so we've seen him dominate as a freshman. We saw him slump a little bit as a sophomore in the, in the 2019 season and then be far more successful in the 2020 season. Uh, we saw Justin Fields dominate in his first year at Ohio State, and then in his second year this past season, have a little bit of a slump. And so very easily, uh, you can see Justin Fields' third year in the, in the college level, which will never happen. You could see it being very much so what Lawrence had this year, which was a return to form and a return to greatness. They're largely equivalent players from a recruiting perspective, from a talent perspective, a natural feel for the game, athleticism, everything you want. One just had a different timeline than the other. Uh, so there's, to me, no reason to be discounting fields for a transfer, discounting fields for what Ohio State asked him to do versus what Lawrence asked him to do. This is a, a lot of narrative juice that really just doesn't pack much punch for me. Uh, fields a doggone good player. Well, and it's also interesting, you mentioned the slumps. Two slumps for two players of this caliber is still better than 117 other quarterbacks in college football. James, I'll go to you. Well, first, Ben, uh, I do want to express my deepest sympathies. I found out that you were a recent U Chicago grad. Hey, and, go Maroons, uh, baby. What's up? <laughs> well, um, I can't imagine how difficult it must have been to have been a football fan at U Chicago and finding people to share that interest. But um, as somebody who's currently attending Northwestern, I just want to extend an offer that if you're ever back in the Chicago area and want to kick back, watch a game, commiserate with another fan of a losing team, I'm here for you, man. Yeah, Northwestern denied me way back in the day. You Chicago got the acceptance. Uh -oh. Northwestern was like, now nah, we're too good for you. I said, all right, I'll, I'll write that down. All Northwestern <laughs> prospects down a round grade in the future. Well, I got the reverse, so that's pretty uh, funny. There but, you go. Uh, so I want to ask you about a player that you recently tweeted about, um, and that's Rondale Moore. And you tweeted that Rondale Moore is a good fit for the New York Jets. And so I just want to kind of bifurcate it into the evaluation and then the valuation. Could you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about Moore as a player and what he brings and then talk about in light of his injuries, how we should view him um, in the draft? Right. So Moore is interesting for the Jets because Purdue Rondell Moore is pretty analogous to San Francisco Debo Samuel. And I say that carefully because South Carolina Debo Samuel coming out was not used in this like jet sweep, constant running back, like all screens, all shallow routes way. Debo was used downfield quite a bit and actually had a really quality downfield receiving profile, despite not being the fastest dude, uh, because he was so weirdly good at contested catches just by being like 5'11". So when Debo came out, it was all right. He's, he's, he, his best trait is his run after catch ability, but he's weirdly good in these contested catches and he's so tough, but he's not like super fast. How are we going to get this guy on the field? Shanahan was like, I'm just going to put the ball in his hands behind the line of scrimmage and let him be a running back, essentially. And that's, that's what he's done very, very well. Rondell Moore is a similar build, right? He's 5'10, 5'11. He's going to push for 200 pounds. I don't think he'll hit it, but he'll, he'll try to get there. Uh, he's stocky. He's built like a running back. So in that, facilitated touch roll jet sweeps wide receiver screens reverses all of which are pretty integral to this offense more would be successful 
When you evaluate more at Purdue, however, you don't get what you got from Devo Samuel in South Carolina, which is you don't get the downfield receiving profile. Moore was ludicrously infrequently targeted more than five yards down the field. It was slants, it was speed outs, it was option routes, it was, it was uh, wide receiver screens. And they very rarely gave him downfield targets. And a lot of that has to do with how Jeff Brom wants to call the offense. A lot of that has to do with who Purdue had at quarterback. But when you have a player who presumably has like quality explosiveness and long speed, and they're not being targeted downfield often, it, it, it's something you have to circle, right? We, we can only project that out so far. And so when you're evaluating more, you expect him to be an immediate impact player in the short areas from the slots. That's what he did in college, and he did it doggone well since his freshman year. You don't know what you're getting down the field. And that's what makes him an extremely tricky valuation. Because if we're going to make a player in that mold shallow targets slot work separation run after catch valuable we have to feed him touches right think about jarvis landry in miami and then in cleveland for this guy to matter for us he has to be our, our dominant target do you want rondell moore to be your dominant target in year one coming out of college it's a very difficult question to answer if he can walk into the league right away and track deep balls 40 yards down the field which we're not sure he can do if he can there's no problem because we don't have to feed him targets. Every so often we can just yeet him a nine ball. Every so often we can just toss him a reverse and go pick up an explosive play for us. When you're getting explosive plays now, I don't need to feed you targets for you to be worth a top 40 pick for me. Throw that in with lower body injuries that because of the college level and how injuries are reported, we really have no idea what went down. We just know something kept him from playing and being explosive this past year. And he's a very, very tricky guy to play. So he's a dart throw. Like if it's him and Kadarius Tony on the board, that's difficult because you have more information about Tony. If it's him and Elijah Moore out of, out of Ole Miss on the board, it's difficult to have a lot of more information about, about Elijah Moore. So he's a tricky guy to place for that reason. But certainly, I mean, some of the stuff you watch is, is special stuff. Joe, you're up. Yeah, great. Ben, man, great to have you on. And, and welcome to this uh, new rapid fire segment I've dubbed True or False and, and Other Things with Joe Bellick. As you can tell, the title is a work in progress, uh, but let's get into it and feel free to elaborate on any of your choices. Now, Ben, I, I've noted your affinity for hot sauce, so it might get a little spicy, but I promise you it'll be fun, right? So first question, true or false, when it's all said and done, Javante Williams, not Travis Etienne, not Najee Harris, will be the best running back to come out of this draft class. False, literally close. You said false? But it'll be close, yeah. But it'll be close. All right, who do you think it would be? Najee. Najee. All right, yeah, Najee is my favorite yeah. running back in this class, so I definitely applaud your more, choice. More certain he can contribute on all three downs right now than Javante can. As a pure runner, Javante probably has the edge. Okay, cool. Um, as far as true or false, Richie Grant is the best single high safety in this draft. Very false. Very false. Who is? Watch that Trevon Merrick film, brother. Really? I, I mean, from a coverage perspective, I, I don't think there's anyone better than him right now. I mean, I know, you know, Grant is maybe lacking in the tackling prospect, but you think that, you know, Moeller can cover ground like Grant? I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be one of the lowest you talk to on Richie Grant. I can't see it with him. I don't see consistent angles. I see speed. Sure. I don't see consistent angles. And then the tackling thing you brought up makes it even worse. If you're playing the roof, I need you to be able to stop people. And Richie Grant's a coin flip, whether or not he stops a guy. Merrick is six foot 210 with hitting power with tackling form and he's not as fast as Richard Graham but I think he's smarter and so I like Merrick from the top all right nice I'm, I, I like your perspective there all right so name me the first and last person in the draft you choose to walk down a dark alley with 
Oh, okay. So like first would be Landon Dickerson because he, he's protecting me, right? This is the idea is that I, he's my accompaniment down the dark alley. If there's a danger, he's going to protect me. Uh, last, it's got to be like somebody who's a goofball who would like scare me for fun. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. Come, I'll come back to that one. Yeah, I was I was thinking Quiddy Pay or one of the offensive linemen for obvious reasons. You know, maybe uh, I was thinking the last person would be Tutu Atwell. You know, you could pretty pretty much push him over. With right. Him. Yeah. Or he'd. You know, he'd I'm like, run away. I, I already ripped on Richie Grant too much, but Richie Grant is not physical, so maybe that. Yeah, or I was thinking actually maybe you know Zach Wilson would be the first and the last person first because he has such a punchable face and he'd take the brunt of the punishment if something happened and <laughs> and, and and the last person because well. He has such a punchable face and, and someone what might want to actually attack us. Not to alienate yeah. the, the Zach Wilson listeners. I do love, I, you know, I do love him. Um, so, you know, next one right here, true or false, at least five receivers will be drafted in the first round. If true, which ones? Uh, one, two, three, four. At least five? Yeah. True. Uh, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle were 100% going. Rashad Bateman is 90% going. And then the combined value of Terrace Marshall and Kadarius Tony and Elijah Moore and Rondale Moore are going to get five in there. All it right. helps that like Green Bay could take one, Kansas City could take one. They're going to be they'll, they'll they'll save me there at the end. All right, cool. I'm with you on that. Okay, Ben. So this is where it gets a little spicy. You know, on a on a scale from one to five eggplants, maybe the prospect that could potentially fall to 23 that should have Joe Douglas at a five, the war room at full mast. And someone is getting pregnant that night. All right. Uh, who's fallen? Jets. J.C. Horn. J.C. Horn? All right. Well, I was hoping that yeah. you were going with the, the draft network. So full throttle Waddle, because I just think he would fit perfectly in this in this portion of the, of the segment. Yeah, I don't think you get Waddle that far. I'm not huge on Horn uh, as a prospect. I will say that Salem likes to have guys who can play up in the line of scrimmage if necessary. And that's clearly Horn. Uh, I don't think he's currently being projected to fall outside of 20, but I do think it's possible because he's an imperfect prospect. But that said, Jets have such a bad need at corner that if he makes it, I imagine they take him. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Horn. If he fell there, I'd be pretty stoked. So this is the last question, Ben, before we pass it on to James and Meeks. Ben, as an Eagles fan, true or false, you miss Joe Douglas more than the deserts miss the rain? No. I mean, when Joe Douglas was here, you got to understand, the Eagles still didn't draft very well. And it was a big, it was a big thing for uh, debating, like, Harry Roseman's legacy and, like, Roseman's job was obviously up in the air here a little bit this year. Roseman hasn't drafted well over the past few years. And the Eagles love to talk about how, oh, we have future GMs in our front office. Joe Douglas, Andrew Barry, we have more future GMs in our front office. Andy Weidel, da, da, da. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't get good players in the building. Those are the future GMs. That doesn't help us. We need you to draft good players. And so there was a lot of conversation about like who were Joe Douglas's guys and who are Roseman's guys and did Joe Douglas really like this guy or that guy or whatever. Eagles haven't drafted well. Uh, and so Douglas leaving did not decrease the value of our drafts at all. We went from bad to bad. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to cover up my heart attack at the thought of the Kansas City Chiefs adding Rashad Bateman. <laughs> Because I understand my home tour debate is probably going to cause some heart attacks. Meeks, let's go to you. Uh, ben, I think the most exciting hire, like in regards to Robert Salah's staff, has been Mike LaFleur. And a lot of Jets fans have been speculating on what kind of offense he's going to run. I think a lot of people think he's going to bring a lot of what Kyle did in San Francisco. But mm -hmm. my question is, his brother uh, 
in Green Bay, while it's a Shanahan scheme, he tends to borrow concepts from other offenses a lot. I think Nate Tice called it like the greatest hits ban as an offense. If they, mm-hmm. if Mike's offense looks a lot more like that, how does that work for Justin Fields and Zach Wilson? Right. So that, that that's a good question. So when we talk about Shanahan and McVay, we're usually talking about serious football. And so serious football is I, I got a look and I run wide zone out of it. And then I have that same look and then I run wide zone play action out of it. And it's a bootleg pass. And then I run that same look and it's wide zone play action bootleg, but I'm throwing leak to the backside. And then it's the same look and then it's wide zone play action and I'm leaking out the tight end, but it's actually a screen. And then I'm running the same look and, it, and you see what I'm talking about, right? So we serious football means I've got, a, I've got a, a look, I've got a play, a base play, and I've got a lot of stuff that looks like the base play, but actually isn't the base play. And that's going to let me throw pitches and, and set up defenses. And that's, that's a lot of Shanahan and McVay. What LaFleur did in green Bay. So this is Matt I'm trying to get my, four letter M names, correct. What he did in green Bay, certainly stealing concepts, right? Grabbing stuff that works and putting it in there, but that doesn't often jive with serious football because very frequently you're just kind of taking that and installing that it can like Shanahan ran in the playoffs last year. Uh, or I should say two seasons ago. Now this little counter reverse with the H back that looks like it's going to be split zone. And then they flip the reverse and then every single wide zone team ran it this year because it is stealing, but it also still works within your series. So it, there's a little bit like you can steal stuff and it's still within the, the, the philosophy of series football. But a lot of what LaFleur stole is just like, all right, trick play, boom, this was cool. It worked, bang, and that's a quick hitter for us. What I'm locked in on for Mike LaFleur in San Francisco is that Matt LaFleur in Green Bay ran way more RPOs than Shanahan or McVay does. Uh, extremely heavy on and, – and when we talk about RPOs, it's very easy to think about like, all right, everybody's run blocking except for one receiver is running a slam. A lot of these RPOs were based off the intelligence of the quarterback in Green Bay. Number 12, Aaron Rodgers may have heard of him. Uh, If he, he walks up the line of scrimmage, I have a package play. call. I have a run play call and a a passing play call. I look at the defense. I send one glance to Devontae Adams. Like, yep, we got him. And then I run that passing play independent of what's going on around me. So it's a a lot less structured of an RPO. It's a lot more free flowing and it's based off Rodgers understanding what the defense does. Mike LaFleur, Never had that guy in San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo, C.J. Beathard, Nick Mullins. Right now, he doesn't have that guy in New York, Sam Darnold. Uh, I don't know if you can make a rookie into that guy either, but one thing that Wilson did a lot at BYU was throw that isolated nine ball to the outside receiver. And so you can bring Wilson in and in day one tell him, we're going to install our running game and we're going to package it with a backside nine. And, if, and we're going to give it to Denzel Mims. Mims, a nuts catch point player. If you see press coverage, you're going to throw it back shoulder. If you see off coverage, we're going to throw a 15-yard comeback. And you can give that to Wilson all day free access. That's a lot of what BYU did in that offense. You, so you, you have like that avenue if you bring in a guy like Wilson. So I think what you're going to be looking at is RPOs and package plays, how those get integrated into Shanahan's offense, more so than just like the, the stealing of a concept. Because everybody can do that and just kind of plug and chug, right? Like Sean Payton nearly got scored on in the playoffs by the bears on a double reverse touchdown pass. And then the very next week called that play in the playoffs for the saints. Like that, just, a week ago, he saw that and he just stole it. So stealing is like, it's, it's a little bit arbitrary. I'm much more interested in seeing like RPO package play stuff for LaFleur's offense in New York. Awesome. And Ben, we have, before we let you go, we're going to have one more rapid fire segment. This one's going to come from James for you. Uh, thank you again for rocking with us, James, take us to, I'm going to, and the Catholic in me, take us to church as we embark on the Easter season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 
I just want to get your thoughts on some prospects who fit certain categories, either in terms of skill set or where they're probably going to be drafted. So first rapid fire question for you. Feel free to explicate if you want. Um, day three sleeper wide receiver who you think is going to turn out to be really good. Really good? Or good. Or better than Yeah, really good is tough from day three. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset out of Iowa. Returner background. Uh, 6'2", 205, but with wheels and deep ball tracking ability. And he's a little bit shifty. He's not super shifty. He's more linear. But if we're talking like, again, like this is so easy. Like, oh, in a Shanahan offense. Well, yeah, everybody's good in a Shanahan offense. Um, but if we're talking about a player who is going to work in a passing offense to have more juice than Iowa's did, both with downfield targets and with screens, he's legit. And because he can return, he'll stick on a roster. Got it. Second question is, among the top 45, top 60 edge rushers who are, for the most part, very toolsy, athletic, but kind of raw and need some development, who do you think will be the guy who works out the best out of that group of edge defenders? Peyton Turner out of Houston, uh, 6'5", 270, 280. Uh, his weight's changed like four times. He was initially a basketball recruit. They're lining him up as a wide nine two point at two uh, two point stance at two seventy pounds, which is just not what you're supposed to do. Uh, he's wicked quick, like he's just natural athlete, and you can tell at times he's just making it up as he goes. But he's quick enough that he's still a problem when he gets his hands right. He's got a nice little inside B gap move, which is good. Uh, so if we're talking about a Preston Smith mold, where it's like a big bodied rusher who lines up on the outside, and they can give you hand in the dirt stuff as well. Matt Juden sort of a mold. So we're talking Baltimore Ravens here. Uh, Peyton Turner is going to be good. And the fact that he's got so little experience is kind of nice because you don't have to unteach him a lot of bad habits. You can just kind of build him from the ground up. So I like him a fair bit. Got it. Who do you think is the best non-first round offensive lineman who is also a fit in an outside zone running scheme? Hmm. Non-first round offensive lineman, outside zone fit. <sighs> I'm, I'm tempted to say James Hudson out of Cincinnati, but that's just an easy one because he's just a freak athlete. So he could just like do anything you want. You'd be fine. Hmm. Trying to think of a better interior guy. Aaron Banks, the guard out of Notre Dame, but he's like 330. So you really got to want to hit backside. That's like outside zone Tennessee style where you're running it to get upfield with Derrick Henry, not outside zone San Francisco style where you're running it to actually get to the outside because he doesn't have wheels like that. So he's a good one. Uh, he's good. Uh, Trey Hill out of Georgia could do it as well. He's another like 315 pounder. He played center for them, but I think if you move him to guard, he'd be successful in that role. Hmm. I don't love any of my answers. If I think of a better one, I'll let you know. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Last two questions. First one, um, courtesy of Meigs, is why are you so high on Elijah Vera Tucker and why is he such a highly ranked player for you? He's a good ball player. Uh, Vera Tucker was a great guard at USC, uh, and then he had to bump out to tackle. And I watched his guard film, and I said, he's not going to be long enough or quick enough for this. It's not going to go well. And it went extremely well, which is dumb. Uh, and, and what's annoying is how technically good he was immediately at tackle. Tackle to guard is different in terms of how you take your angles, how you take your sets, what's threatening you. Guard, you're, you're 
flanked both sides. You have a center, you have a tackle. It narrows your, your area. You're working a two by two. You're working in a, in a refrigerator box. You know what I mean? And that's that you can be a lot more aggressive. You can take more risks. Your hands are, are, are how you initiate much less. So your feet being your, your most, your biggest priority, you move to tackle all that changes. Cause you got a blank outside shoulder and you've got to protect that outside edge. Uh, he was so good at that so immediately and so naturally. So when we talk about a combination of smoothness, hand positioning and maintenance, re-maintenance, uh, footwork, we're talking about smoothness, but the ability to gain depth quickly with his feet to be springy, uh, recovery ability, and then just play recognition. He was very rarely got, right? Very rarely he was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. If anything, like he, he could get out physical and he could lose with length, but he was so, so, so very smart. Uh, so potential guard and tackle starter, which means I can draft him not knowing where he's going to play and figure it out in camp, which is a very nice feeling for offensive line coaches. Because sometimes you get a guy in the building, and you're like, oh, shoot, he's clearly a tackle for us. You just didn't realize it. So that versatility is awesome. High caliber starting against top competition at both spots as well. Uh, it, to me, this is this is like what people want Slater, your Northwestern guy to be. That's what Elijah Barrett Tucker is. Nice. Ben, thank you so much. Before we let you go, because we have a minute left, hypothetical gun to your head. If the Jets keep the second pick overall, Right now, who is the pick? Is it Justin Fields? I think I think they'll take Zach Wilson. That'd be my guess. Right now, it seems the league likes Wilson more than Fields. Obviously, the league is not uh, the Jets, right. but my guess is going to be that the average team has Wilson above Fields, so I would guess they take Wilson. Awesome. Ben, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Turn on the Jets Digital Presents Draft Season. We will see you guys next week.